The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Playful Psychologist podcast. Today, I wanted to chat to you guys again about, I guess, being a sibling of someone with a disability. So obviously, um, you guys know by now that I have a younger brother who has autism. He's five years younger than me. And um, I've I've been really open, I guess, about sharing my experiences growing up um, as the typically developing sibling in a disability household. And it can be really, really challenging. And I I shared a post recently, I guess, um, on Instagram that kind of explained this a little bit more, but I wanted to talk about it um, because recently I've gotten a few questions about um, glass child syndrome and what that is and, you know, how we can help these siblings. So basically glass children, um, by definition, are siblings of a person with a disability. And the word glass is kind of representative of people tend to see right through the typically developing sibling and then only focus on the person or the sibling with a disability. Glass is also used, I guess, because the children, the glass children appear really strong, but in reality, they're like, they're not they're falling apart and no one just seems to notice they just absolutely fly under the radar so I guess um I I wanted to share again some of my experiences being I guess the quote-unquote glass child um in a family and talk about my experiences and and how I guess our society just lets the typically developing system system sibling kind of fly under the radar and how important it is that we flip that narrative and don't let that happen and then I guess I'll share some things that we can do as parents to help the typically developing sibling in the family so I actually shared a few of these words on Instagram oh I don't know when maybe earlier this year earlier in 2021 but I wanted to share them with you as again So growing up with an autistic sibling is really challenging. I found it extremely challenging and I've never sugarcoated it. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to make it seem like this beautiful thing. And that may be really hard for some people to hear, but it was hard. It was extremely hard. Please don't get me wrong. I adore my brother. I love him. He's my best friend. Um, You know, I named my son after him my son's middle name is Richie my brother's name is Richard Um, but growing up with him was not the Hollywood story that people hope to hear now obviously there are amazing things about having an autistic sibling and I speak about those things all the time but like I said um, I love my brother but today I guess is more so shining the light on siblings not the person with autism or a disability Because I also feel the need to open up the conversation about some of the challenges that siblings experience when they're growing up in an autistic family. So one of the biggest challenges is you want to do everything to protect your sibling, but you kind of feel so lost and hopeless because how do you do that when they're not accepted by anyone you know, in, in the community. My brother went through his entire school experience without one single friend. Some days he would come to us and say he hadn't had a chance to speak to anyone all day. Can you imagine that? Like, can you just 
for a second, imagine that you go all day and you not one word comes out of your mouth because no one's bothered to have a conversation with you. I actually still get really teary and emotional when I think about that. And sometimes it actually still keeps me up at night. It's almost like I have a trauma response to it. And sometimes I even feel really, really guilty, even now at 30 years old, um, you know, for having things on with my friends. And, and when I still lived at home, I would often say no and make up random excuses so that I could be home with him. No one talks about the guilt that siblings experience, um, especially when the disability is quite severe. And I would not wish that on anyone. In fact, through my own journey of becoming, um, you know, more self-aware in regards to, I guess, my experiences growing up, I've come to realize that guilt is the number one negative emotion that I experience. It's not anxiety. It's not sadness. For me, it is guilt. And I wholeheartedly put that down um, you know to my experiences growing up and the guilt that I felt because I wasn't able to protect my sibling what I also find really interesting and I know I'm not alone in this is that siblings are often the victims of bullying because they for the only reason that they have a sibling with a disability so imagine that you are bullied because your sibling has difficulties and additional needs. How insane is that? And that is definitely something I experienced growing up. I would get asked what disease my brother had and kids would laugh and run away, um, why he was weird, why he was so naughty, people would stare. I would get, you know, really stressed about having friends over and I way preferred going on play dates at other people's houses if I could avoid it. And I've always I've always been really protective of my brother, um, you know, even as a child, but it wasn't until I turned 18 that I started just, you know, basically cutting people out of my life um, who weren't empathetic to our situation and didn't want to get to know him. Did I lose some friends in the process? Hell yeah, I did. But are the friends that I have now amazing and accepting and the kind of people I want to be around? Absolutely. The other thing I want to mention is, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people, even parents in these situations don't think about enough, is every day since I was about 13 or 14 years old, I've thought about what the future holds for my brother. And it's played a part in everything I do. It's so anxiety provoking. It's really confronting and it's extremely alienating. So just imagine you're 13, you're 14, and you're worrying about how you will take care of your brother in a world that doesn't understand him when you're just a child yourself. So I'm 13, my brother's eight, and I'm freaking out about what happens when my parents die and I have to worry about my brother. That's huge. That's a huge amount of responsibility for a young child to put themselves under. And that stress drips into other facets of life. For example, when I was 20, I met my now husband, right? And I felt like once I realized that it was quite a serious relationship, you know, only a few months in, I felt like I had to have this like really clear confronting conversation that there will come a time when my brother will have to live with us. And that's not a conversation you want to have in your 20s with someone you've been dating a few months. But for me, it's kind of like I, w I would rather know now whether he's in for the long haul or not. And I'm obviously very grateful and very thankful and extremely blessed that he loves Rich just as much as he would his own sibling. Um, but again, that conversation to have in your, when you're 20 years old, oh, sorry, Siri, when you're 20 years old is not something that you want to be having. It's just, it's just not. Now, if we go back and circle back to the glass child situation, 
Typically developing siblings often assume that their problems are too small for their parents and they often keep things to themselves because they don't want to burden their parents who are already stressed. They fly under the radar. They don't feel appreciated. They definitely don't feel understood and they don't feel important. And that is so heartbreaking. I see it all the time. It's not that the parents don't care. It's that the the child feels like the parents don't care. So if you're a parent listening to this, this is not an attack on you. You, I know, are doing everything that you can for all your children. But the fact of the matter is, when there is a child in the family with a disability, that child is obviously going to take up more of your time and attention um, and energy than your other children. On that note as well, school is also extremely hard when you are a sibling because if you have a diagnosis, the school tries to help you in different ways. There's extra help, there's extra support, all of that. There were nights when I was um, younger where my brother would have meltdowns that carried on like well into the early morning. So I'd go to school totally sleep deprived, totally anxious, totally on edge. And when I got to school, um, you know, there were no special provisions for me or for siblings. We were expected to perform just like everyone else. And if we didn't, we got in trouble. So I think in that regard, we still have a lot of work to do in regards to how we treat siblings and how we understand their experiences, because I genuinely don't feel like we do understand enough right now. The other thing I want to mention as well, and unfortunately, this is something that we experienced quite a lot as a um, family. So my mum, my dad and my brother, that's who I mean when I say family, um, is alienation. Um, Alienation from families and friends is so real. The first time I remember being alienated from our extended family, I was seven um, and heaps of our family friends, you know, we're ethnic, we have lots of family friends. They all, uh, I'll tell you the trip exactly. They all organized a trip to Lindemann Island, um, which is like a club med. Um, It happened twice, actually. Lindemann Island was one time and Fiji was another. Now, keep in mind, these trips happened when I was like seven and 10 and I still remember them. They still upset me. They still haunt me to this day. All our cousins, all our family friends went on this trip. Not one person invited our family. Let that sink in for a second. Totally alienated by our family and friends. We no longer had play dates. Um, People didn't ask us over unless they kind of had to. Um, And it really caused a sense of shame and frustration. And it's quite unhealthy for the family to experience because we say over and over again, it takes a village to raise a child, especially a child with additional needs. So why does that village all of a sudden disappear when you have you know, a child in your family with special needs or additional needs. And then what do you do? Sorry, I use the term special needs and I really don't like that term. It kind of just slipped out. I just want to apologize, but I don't like to edit these conversations because I want them to be as raw as possible. And I'm only human. Extended for, for us, especially what I find really frustrating is, and you know, you guys know, I share Richard's successes a lot with his freckly face business, for example, and when he's on the news and when he's being interviewed and all these things. And our extended family and friends are all there when he's on the news and when he's succeeding. But where are they when my mum and my dad and myself are genuinely stressed and anxious about how to manage his behavior or genuinely stressed and anxious about his lack of social skills or we can see some depression creeping in because he's isolated? Where are they then? They're nowhere to be found. And that is 
heartbreaking. And also, it's really hard to then give that same energy back to people because you never expect it in return. And that's really hard and something that I grapple with a lot. I often feel like I put a lot of energy into people that don't necessarily put the energy back in um, to me. And I, I get really frustrated by that. And I think this is where it stems from. Because it's really difficult to constantly be there for people when they're not there for you. And finally, one of the things that I wanted to, well, not finally, actually, I've got a couple of things I want to chat about. But when it comes to like Hollywood's representation of autism, they just don't do it justice at all. They don't show meltdowns in all their glory. They don't have like non-verbal, highly intelligent people on the spectrum. Um, And, you know, people look to Hollywood for realistic representations. I I know that sounds silly, but they do. And so if we're not giving, if we're giving unrealistic expectations on TV and in the movies, how are people that don't experience this meant to be empathetic and understanding of siblings and their families? Because for siblings, witnessing this behavior every single day um, is exhausting, but it also makes you shut down because no one understands. Like with anything, people assume that if you don't talk about it, then everything's okay. But they also rarely ask about it. So how would they know? And I think when we talk about glass child syndrome, that's really important because the siblings, the glass child siblings, they don't talk about it, but that doesn't mean they're not struggling. It's just that no one's really asked the right question to get them talking or they feel like they can't talk about it because they're not the sibling or they're not the person with a disability in the family. I think when it comes to disabilities like autism in particular, there are a lot of people who can, you know, it's really hard to relate to because there are a lot of people that can relate to you if you're going through heartbreak or a breakup or a divorce or a death, you know, and that grief process. But unless you grew up in a disability household, you literally have no idea what it's like. So I often don't really bother speaking to my friends about it for that reason. They just don't get it. And I think that's been the case since I was a child. And that definitely contributes to that glass child syndrome. And then finally, on on the note of glass child syndrome, as the typically developing sibling, you can often really feel like you're to blame for small things or, you know, you feel like your family doesn't have time for you. I know my parents worked so hard to make sure I was appreciated and loved. I know that they're honestly the best. I couldn't have asked for better parents, but they can only do so much. And my brother, unfortunately, did take up a lot of their time. And it's the small things that can be really hard or frustrating for me. That was, you know, having to stay at my cousin's place for a couple of weeks at a time when my parents would go overseas seeking treatment or therapy options um you know and in my eyes in my eight-year-old eyes they were on a holiday in the states and I was stuck in Australia they didn't take me on the holiday um I didn't understand that it was for therapy at the time or you know when your brother rips up your homework the day before it's due and and you tell your parents and they say well you shouldn't have left it on your desk and it's like well where the hell else should I have left it or they say you know you should have closed your door and it's like well that's frustrating because I'm not the one in the wrong here like why why am I being made to be in the wrong sort of thing you know or I was the captain of my school basketball team but I couldn't I had one game with both my parents there because my brother really couldn't cope in those situations and one of my parents always had to be with him so it's those little things but those little things definitely add up I do want to finish by saying obviously it is not all bad Rich my brother is my teacher he's my hero my best friend he's genuinely one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And he's so sassy. He loves kids. He loves sport. He loves doing things that any 25 year old man enjoys, right? 
And people often selfishly, well, I think it's selfish. They ask me like, oh, do you wish he didn't have autism? And like, I just look at them like, you idiots. Like, did I wish he didn't struggle? Absolutely, of course. I wish things were easier for him and for us as a family. And I wish he wasn't so misunderstood. And I wish he was accepted by society. But I wouldn't change him because that would mean he wasn't my brother. I would change his surroundings, his environment and the world to better suit him. So yeah, I just wanted to end it on that note. If you do have a typically developing child in your family and you're a parent listening to this going, oh, what can I do to help, you know, avoid that glass child syndrome? One-on-one time with your typically developing child is the best thing that you can do. Schedule it in. I know it sounds insane. I know your schedules might be busy, but to this day, Some of my best memories in my childhood are when my dad would take me for a Slurpee after school or my mum took me on a shopping trip or my mum just loaded me in the car and we'd go get like a coffee together. She'd get the coffee, I'd get the free cookie that came with it. Those memories that I have one-on-one with my parents are some of the best memories and some of the only things I remember from my childhood. So please do not underestimate the power and importance of that one-on-one time with all your children, but especially when it comes to glass child syndrome. Anyways, guys, I hope that was beneficial and I hope that was useful. Um, Yeah. And please let me know if you have any questions, you can always email me, which is theplayfulpsychologist at gmail.com, or you can DM me at theplayfulpsychologist on Instagram. I hope you have a great week, guys, and I'll chat to you soon. See you later.